Somewhere a few years into my health journey, I remember asking myself and not really being able to clearly answer the question of whether or not the health activities I was doing for myself were driven by perfection. At this time, I was working on having a diet that didn't hurt my body, trying to make kombucha, trying to exercise and sleep enough and do all the right things to make myself healthy. And being someone who is familiar with perfectionism and that need and drive to be perfect, I remember asking myself in a desire to be healthy, is this or any of this at all, potentially being driven by perfectionism. Perfectionism is something that I see myself and my clients deal with. And so on today's episode, I want to dive deep into what perfectionism is, how you can know if your health activities are being driven by it, and four steps you can take today to slowly get out from under the pressure and demand of perfectionism. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health. All right, guys. So today's episode marks the end of our focus in October, which is all on everything coaching and mindset and the 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 emotional, psychological aspects of addressing things in our health and thinking about our health. Today, I wanted to talk about perfectionism, and I want to start off our conversation with what perfectionism is. I have been reading a lot of Brene Brown. I'm actually, what, reading I read The Gifts of Imperfection a couple months ago, which is a very short, I think it's actually might be her first book even. It's a very easy, like quick read where you can read just a few pages a day and it's one chapter at a time and get great to get through. And then I'm reading two of her other books right now, Daring Greatly, which was another of her just big um, hitters a couple years ago, and the Dare to Lead. And so I've been hearing a lot of Brene Brown's voice in my head. And not only do I have conversations with my clients about perfectionism, and not only do I get questions from them about perfectionism showing up in our health, but I have been through that myself. And so I want to start with, what is perfectionism? So Brene Brown gives it this great quote, which is, perfectionism is the addictive belief that if we can appear perfect, we can avoid shame. And when I came across that definition 
I'm, I know for sure it was the first time I'd ever thought of perfectionism quite that way. I think there is this general awareness of people are perfectionists and they do it because they want to be perfect. But but what's the driver? You know, that's that's not necessarily it's there's a difference between striving for excellence and for your personal best and perfectionism. And so what's the difference between wanting to get better and perfectionism? And so perfectionism is really being driven by this desire to not be vulnerable, which is frequently uh, caused by shame. There's some type of shame and and you're not f- comfortable feeling vulnerable. You don't, you're not even willing. You don't see any benefits to being vulnerable. You've been hurt being vulnerable in the past. There's all the problems that can come up with vulnerability. And therefore, perfectionism is armor. It is a a, a technique or a method we use to say, you can't hurt me. And the other aspect of it is because we need it to be our armor, unless you have some other type of armor, usually you you need it all the time. It's very, very hard to put down. You can't just be like, I'm just not going to be have a perfectionistic tendency right now or today or maybe for this one area. Um, and it really echoes in my mind of probably the first time I had a counselor point out to me probably in middle school or high school that I had perfectionism or whatever, whatever it is. I don't know. Is it a disease? You have it. You have perfectionism. <laughs> um, the first time it was pointed out, I remember kind of thinking first off, I was like, yeah, who doesn't want to be perfect? Of course I'm perfect. Um, but, but there was no apparent, I definitely didn't understand it as a kid. Maybe it was told to me, but it didn't make sense to me how you stop doing it. It was just this force on its own you lived by. And that is what she means by it's addictive. And sometimes she straight up calls it an addiction. It's a form of addiction that it's an, it's an armor, just like losing yourself in alcohol is an armor, just like losing yourself in a TV show is armor. It's another thing that we just use to say, mm, you can't touch me. I don't want to deal with those, those unpleasant, uncomfortable emotions or memories or whatever is going on. So again, it's an addictive belief that if we can appear perfect, we can avoid shame. Um, the next question I wanted to cover is where does perfectionism come from? So perfectionism comes from already talked into this, but shame at the base of that, uh, fear of vulnerability, because you, we're all going to experience shame, things that we're not proud of ourselves for, things that we've been told about ourselves from a teacher, from a parent, from a peer, things that are inside of us and we're ashamed of, but the cure to shame is vulnerability. And, you know, that's why Brene Brown is known as the vulnerability gal. <laughs> that's how I thought of her, even though she calls herself a shame researcher. And so vulnerability is the cure to shame, but vulnerability is pretty much the opposite of perfectionism. And so when you are afraid of being vulnerable, you don't know the skills how, you don't know you don't know how to find a safe place to be vulnerable or a safe person to be vulnerable with, um, or you're for whatever reason, maybe you're a leader in a community and you're not creating that place to be vulnerable and to be safe, uh, then your shame just just festers and builds up. And this all leads to not feeling worthy. And so we can say, say your goal is, I don't want to be a perfectionist anymore. I want to be out of this thumb of perfectionism, um, this like need and force. And it can be, it can be very uncomfortable depending on the intensity of the perfectionism and the need for it. But, but then you're like, well, how do I do it? It's because perfectionism sometimes is also performance based so that we can feel worthy. But 
So the problem is you don't feel worthy. So perfectionism is driven by this need to cover up and to hide. The goal is not to strive for excellence or to be your best self. Perfectionism is, is perfectionism is a direct result of being taught to value what other people think over what you think, value, or feel. And that's another interesting aspect of perfectionism. It's actually very people-oriented. And by people-oriented, I don't mean like loving and kind. I mean people fearing, people pleasing. Uh, you're very aware of how other people are perceiving you rather than saying, this is how I, this is what I think. This is what I value. This is what I need. So if you need a nap because uh, you're you know struggling with chronic illness, but you know that well, m- you know my kids or my neighbor or my you know if if I get asked by my boss, what did you do yesterday or whatever, like. I need to I need to have a life where it's like I went to the beach and I was active and I did stuff and then you're grinding yourself and your health, you know, because you need to exercise. You have to put on this image of of who you are, but it's not getting you what you need. You really needed that nap. That's where perfectionism is it's valuing what other people might think. And not, and it might be something no one may ever know about that nap, but you've got this voice in your mind, maybe of your mom or of somebody who's like, well, naps, naps are lazy or there's all these different things. And you're like, no, 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 I got to prove them. That's not, that's not that's wrong. I'm not lazy. And so it really is very controlling. And it's, again, centered on other people, which I had never thought about before prior to really reading Brene Brown. But perfectionism is not this like, it's not 100% this internal need on its own. There's a very strong aspect of others on the outside. And it's performing, pleasing, and proving yourself. It's something Brene Brown specifically has said. None of these include being yourself, being funny, or being, you know, sick, or being where whatever you're being at that moment, like goofy or, or just, you know, wearing clothes that are more comfortable than what's expected of you, all these different things. And so... Um, none of the, none of the, not perfectionism inherently does not include you getting to be yourself and fear and shame are these underlying drivers of perfectionism. So in health, perfectionism shows up in a lot of ways. And I want to, before I name some of these ways, cause we're going to get into like, is perfectionism at all, um, going on or an aspect of what's going on in your health right now? Cause again, that was a big question for me of like, is this what's going on? Because when you're really sick, you're like, no, I do have to be strict on my diet or I do have to be careful with my exercise or supplements or whatever it is you're thinking about. There's there's some, you know, like, let's not be ridiculous and just be like, well, I'm not going to be a perfectionist. So I'm going to like go the opposite end and not care about anything. That's, that's not the opposite, but it's really, we're looking at the heart primarily. So that's another funny aspect. You can't look at behaviors and be like, that's perfectionism for sure. You really have to look at your own heart and your motivation for why you're doing what you're doing and some of the emotions behind what you're doing, the fears behind what you're doing. Um, Do you have fear driving a lot of your behavior? If so, that's not a really healthy place to be doing that from, whether it's kind of perfectionism based or not, where maybe that's fear is something else. But but really, we really want to be living from agency, from hope, from intention, rather than fear and hiding and running away and, and avoiding. And so you can even, if you think about emotions that come up with those different words, it's a very different um, aspect. So I'm going to name some things though that I've seen in myself, seen in my clients, heard people talk about. Uh, so these are not all not inherently bad, but there's something that you can kind of, where's, where's the heart? So 
Um, if you in health, this might show up as feeling like you need to have the most perfect diet, the perfect exercise routine, or the perfect health practitioner. You need to make your own kombucha and kimchi and fermented foods. You need the perfect probiotic because that'll fix you, which is, again, one of the reasons I created podcast episode three, I believe, which is why, uh, pro- why pro- your probiotic isn't healing your gut, something like that. And we'll link it in the show notes. But there's there's when you're when you're just so focused on having the perfect blah 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 it really drowns out all the other science and details and so I share about a lot of those on this podcast and and even in that specific episode like what's going on with probiotics did you know that they actually cannot work they can actually make things worse under which circumstances might that be and that's where you get into like having good health and science-based knowledge, but it can be very scary to stop a probiotic or to try something else if you're just for sure, oh, it hasn't just been perfect enough. When I evaluated myself, I really found that that was one of my my themes of beliefs was I'm not healthy because I'm not perfect enough. And that was really one of the biggest um, health blocks for me. There was... I don't remember there being a single moment where that stopped being true, but there were some pieces, scientific pieces and facts where I had an experience with, for example, getting craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation and experiencing my body getting better and realizing, oh, this isn't my willpower. This isn't my perfect, how perfect I am making me sick. There's literally something else going on that I can't even touch or see. And so that is some of my heart in having these podcast episodes is at least exposing you to new information that is is highlighting and engendering this this understanding of wow there's so much more going on other than the fact that I'm not doing something perfectly. I'm not ha- I'm not either it's either not the right diet or I'm not eating doing the diet right enough. Um, that's super, super evil and gets into like the number one lie about food that I hate, which is I talk about food sensitivities and diets in that podcast episode. We will link that in the show notes. But um, another thing I'll see is is having to do everything yourself opposed to not asking uh, or opposed to asking for help from your husband, your partner, a health practitioner, a neighbor, a friend. And that might be, hey, can you watch my kids? I'm going to go and, you know, get a acupuncture appointment or, hey, could you make dinner? It's like feeling like, no, I have to make it because nobody else can make dinner correctly or nobody else knows how to make food. Um, I actually encountered this and I didn't even put this into my notes, but I'm realizing this was totally one of my problems was... Um, and there's loneliness wrapped up in this as well, feeling like you have to do this yourself. But one of the first times someone ever offered to make me food when I was in the midst of my health crisis problem in around, in around probably 2016, I actually burst into tears. It was a very sweet, we ended up becoming roommates, but a very sweet friend of mine. And she's like, hey, let me make you a meal. And I, I don't think she knew. I, I just burst into tears and I said, you can't cook for me because I have too many restrictions. I was on the low FODMAP diet at the time. And I mean, it's just like you tell people you can't cook with garlic and onion and broccoli and, you know, apples. And they're like, what do I cook with? <laughs> and and I, she's like, no, 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 I got this. And she said, I have a couple diet restrictions myself. I know how to cook around food restrictions. What, what do you need me to avoid? And like literally cooked me. I think it was some type of pancake. Pancake? I remember that being a breakfast food 
And I mean, meant so, so much to me. And I definitely didn't ask. She offered, she forced herself onto me because she's just good like that. But, but it really taught me and it opened up that door of like, I do need to ask for help. And I also need to trust and, and, and invite people and believe that people want to help me. And maybe some people are not good for me. They're totally, I have plenty of clients and they're people in my life. I know it is not a good idea to ask them to change around Thanksgiving for me or to, you know, what the certain meals to like, there are certain people that should not be in charge of cooking um, meals for me that are diet restricted. But that's actually the minority generally in my life. Um, And I, I believe that's partly because of the relationships, types of relationships I've that I've built around me. I'm very grateful for that. I don't, that is generally with most of my clients, maybe at most 50, 50. I think that's the worst ratio I've seen is like half and half, you know, client, some of their friends are willing to help them. And some of them are like, why can't you drink beer with us anymore? (laughs) Um, and that's, that's hard. There's a, there's a growth point, but But you don't have to do everything yourself. You can get a health practitioner. You can ask your husband to watch the kids so you can go to an appointment. You can ask your partner to cook a meal. Um, You can ask your friend to support you emotionally as you go to a doctor's appointment. You can ask for those things. And not doing that can sometimes be, again, perfectionism. Got to do everything myself. Got to look strong. It kind of depends on where your heart is on that. And then similarly, not trusting anyone else to help you. I think that goes, you kind of see little bits of that. I'm like, nobody else can cook this meal because only I can, you know, I'll get all the ingredients right and no one else will do that. I mean, it takes a lot of trust to trust somebody else to cook for you. And I know like I have a friend who's um, diabetic and fully keto and it's, it's a trust, there's a bit of a trust leap of do you, are you actually going to not put any carbs or accidentally not see, get any sugar into my meal? Because they're a, a zero, very, 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 very low carb um, person. And so there is trust, but trust is so worth it. Like showing up and my friend who's low carb, um, seeing that meal and 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 actually even inviting them or like asking, maybe texting them in advance and that can garner trust. Like, hey, I'm, these, this is the food label I'm using or these are the ingredients. They're good, right? Or even them showing up and just asking about stuff and be like, or me telling them, I'll say, and this has this, this, and this in it. And it doesn't have this because I know sometimes spaghetti sauce has blah and I didn't put it in there. And you just kind of point out some stuff. But that takes trust, but then it is so... It is so worth it when you eat a meal somebody else made for you instead of you having to do it all yourself. And so there can also be some other uh, hoops to jump through when it talk comes to getting somebody else to help you. Maybe it's, you know, having people who care for you or are concerned for you or whatever it is. There can be some other stuff going on other than perfectionism. But if you do have somebody who's caring for you, if you do have people you could reach out to and you're not... That could be some perfectionism going on. Um, some of the other, um, some some of the results of perfectionism that I hear in my clients, and and maybe not even perfectionism, but 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 maybe a little. Some of these questions that I hear intermixed with this whole concept, um, which can again can point to are questions you can be asking yourself, like, do I say this? Um, what's going on? Is is perfectionism in, at all involved in what what I'm experiencing? So. Asking yourself, is this my fault? Now, that can be a reasonable question to ask yourself if you feel like it's just like random. Maybe you're like, I don't even know how I got sick. Like, and and the only common denominator is me. 
which I've actually heard multiple times. The only common denominator is me. So you think it's like your fault. You're not executing something well. You didn't care for yourself well enough. That can really lead into that shame, which then you don't want to talk about the shame. Or even if you do, it's it's very much blaming shame. It's not healing and vulnerability shame. And you, then it drives that perfectionism. Well, because I got sick and it is my fault and I probably didn't do something perf enough, perfect enough, I'm going to do it all perfect now. And there's almost a punishing aspect to it. So, um, but that question can sometimes be wrapped up in that perfectionism experience. Did I do this to myself as another variant of that? How did I not see this coming? And then another one is nothing I do works. So that, and that can be, again, maybe there can be I've seen variations. Nothing I do works. Maybe like I'm just broken. I'll never get better. There's some despair in there. Um, nothing I do works can be like nobody can help me. Everybody I work with is an idiot. Um, nothing I do works. Also just like I'm an idiot. I can't do anything right. And I will also say I struggle with all four of these as well as all of the things above. Like I'm going to have the best diet and the best exercise routine because when I entered my health journey, I was a horribly chronic perfectionist and I knew it. I was probably better than I had been, you know, five years prior to that point, but it was, it was way worse than it is now. And so I look back and of course that's my go-to solution of, well, okay, Allison, your solution to messing up every time in life or things going weird every time in life is always just working harder and trying to be perfect. So the, the same gut reactions kick in gut reactions. Y'all, when I say that, sometimes I distract myself. The same gut reactions kick in when, when you then have a problem in your health. The same, it's the same reaction you used at school with your homework, with your relationships, with your body, with your weight loss. It's the same stuff, but now it's your health and it gets way, way, way more complicated. All right. Before we get to the four steps of how to get out and eliminate perfectionism in your health, in your gut health, um, I wanted to give you four specific questions that you can ask yourself um, to see if, ask if a behavior, health behavior might be being driven by perfectionism. So number one, am I afraid to stop this activity? And I realized that question can also be, I'm afraid to stop this activity because I could go downhill roll fast. Um, but there is a difference. There's a difference between I'm gluten-free and I know I should stay gluten-free and it's my every intention to stay gluten-free. And I am going to ask the waiter if there's gluten in this meal because that's a good thing for me to do. Just like I should ask if there's poison in something. That's a generally good thing to do. But then, then there's the, 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 this is where some of the motivation and the internal emotional aspect gets in. And there's this like clenching, like I have to do everything perfectly. Otherwise, like everything's bad. And, and there's kind of the emotional fallout of if you, if you do something, say you accidentally intake gluten or you intentionally intake gluten uh, and, and you're trying to be gluten free or that's your intention, um, how do you respond? It shows a huge where, where your heart is at in this whole perfectionism thing. Is it kind of like, oh, dang it, shoot, there was wheat in that. I actually had that experience. <laughs> uh, oh gosh, maybe about a month ago at a Panera, I had ordered a salad and put on a topping. I like chose a couple extra toppings. And one of the toppings that came, I just don't remember putting on there. So I might've like clicked something I didn't intend to click. 
but I totally took a bite before I realized it and had swallowed and it was like crunchy and it was some type of, you know, like crunchy onion thing, like fried rest crusted onion. And so I was like, oh, there's definitely wheat in that or corn. There's something in that. I'm sure it's not like grain free. So I, I felt bad and I went back up and I had to get the salad remade. And I felt bad that I didn't even look at my salad and just like popped it in my mouth. But it wasn't like, oh, you horrible person. And I did think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how I feel the next few days and weeks. But but it was it was definitely a very different emotional response than um, you're so bad. Like all this like negative self-talk. You should have checked. You should have checked. Like you can get that voice in your head just repeating the very harsh, mean words. And so. Um, are you afraid like just like white knuckle gripping some type of activity it's your exercise routine it's your diet it's your you know eating your home-cooked meals as there's just like death-like fear to stop that activity can often be perfectionism you need it to be perfect um second one do i judge others for not doing this activity and this is something that i'm actually right where i'm at in the book on dare uh, not daring greatly, that one, she's talking about parents and parenting at the very end. And she talks about when you judge other parents for how they parent their children, it's often out of your own insecurity as a parent and your own shame and your own all this stuff going on. And so if you're like walking around like, oh, you eat wheat or um, oh, like you eat meat or whatever it is that your diet pertains to maybe you're jealous of everyone but maybe you're just a little there's also some judgmentalism um similarly it's do you feel better than other people there's like this comparison um of like i'm so much better than that person so maybe you don't feel like you're actively judging others but maybe you do feel that you're better than them of like well, at least I don't eat wheat or I stick to like good portions in my diet or whatever it is going on. Um, that is a form of perfectionism. And of course, as a reminder, the opposite of perfectionism often in the unhealthy form is like overindulgence. So instead of like trying to do everything perfect, you're kind of like, screw it. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to sleep as long as I want. I'm going to eat as much as I want to eat. You just like let go. And that's but it's not out of self-love or contentment or any of that. It's, it's out of just extreme oppositeness. Um, number three, am I constantly looking for the perfect diet, exercise routine, or pelvic floor therapist, et cetera? And I do see this a lot. Um, I sometimes feel like I get interviewed, like, am I perfect? Am I the perfect person for them? I'm like, I'm, I'm a pretty good one. Like, we get pretty good results. I know why. Um, I'm a very thorough very good at strategically analyzing data and looking at labs and creating a health protocol. But there's this sense of, you know, you do you fit into my perfect world? And sometimes uh, I don't or whatever. I, I guess I don't match up. <laughs> I'm not perfect enough. I don't know what is perfect enough, but but just looking for the perfect thing. And I do get a lot of people say, well, I just want a food sensitivity test so I know what to eat or what, what to eat and what not to eat. Or I just want, want to know what diet to eat. And that there is so much more to gut health than diet. And that is something we've hit on so many times. If you are new to the podcast, I would recommend you checking out the podcast episode, the number one lie about food that I hate or... Um, I'm blanking on the other one where I talk a lot about food and food sensitivities. We do have a new podcast episode that came out about what food sensitivity test is best for you. And I get into the nitty gritty details about, about how those work. But 
there is no perfect diet. If you're having gut health problems and you've already done a lot, a lot, a lot of diet changes and diet restrictions, most likely it's not food causing your problem. It's something else invisible. So you're very narrowed down to only your behaviors, what you can control, and it's got to be your fault and you have to have the perfect this, that, and you know for sure that's going to make you sick or healthy. And then lastly, do you erupt in anger, shame, hiding, or self or others harm when your routine is disrupted? So if one thing gets messed up, maybe you binge eat, that's like a type of self-harm. Or if one thing gets messed up, you exercise harder and longer to quote unquote, get back on track. That's another form of self-harm. You go into a depressive coma, not getting out of bed. That's going to be hiding. You explode at your spouse or partner who disrupted your health rhythm and pattern. You ruminate on your failed routine and you can't get out of that moment. You just have this shame and you keep thinking about over and over again. For example, if I had been ruminating on, I ate that wheat, I ate that wheat. I was sitting with three other friends of mine. You know, what if, what if like the rest of that meal which was, you know, another hour and a half of conversation, which is to be worrying and thinking about, I ate that wheat. I'm like, okay, I knew, I know I ate it. I didn't forget I ate it, but (laughs) I wasn't ruminating on it. And that's just a a sign. I'd say a healthy sign of, of this separateness from things that happen to your body and you and your own worthiness and your own sense of security and self-identity. So the steps to avoid perfectionism. There's four steps I wanted to highlight. They, depending on where you're at with whatever you have going on, you might be able to do all four steps really easily. Maybe just one step is going to be where you're going to be right now. So this is not something you have to do all four steps in all areas of your life right now, but this is just some action things. You're like, okay, what do I do now? Okay. I understand what perfectionism is. I know what it's driven by shame and fear of vulnerability. And, and I understand ways to analyze and identify it in my health journey. Well, how, how do I like, what do I change? What, what happens now? So number one, acknowledge that there are weak parts of yourself that you want to cover up. And the reason for that is because, as a reminder, perfectionism is driven by shame. And shame usually is really focused on these these perceived weak parts, perceived or real weak parts of yourself. And on top of that, those parts of yourself are then you're highly aware of them, but they you hide them to yourself. And so engaging with them even though you actually probably engage with them a ton, but engaging with them in this like super conscious, intentional way is not necessarily what you're you're thinking of doing. You're, you're like, let I don't want anybody else to know about it. I'm just I'm just gonna be perfect and no one will know. So writing so like acknowledging these parts can look like writing it down in a journal. I think that would be the number one thing I would do if if you've never done this before write it down in a journal. It's safe. It's not even a human. <laughs> you can you can just do this thing. Um, write down everything that comes to mind that you're, you could either use the word shame or you could use the word weak, like what feels weak in me? What do I want others to not know about? And also realize when you write it down, you don't have to like filter for like, is this actually true? For example, I have for a long, long time, it's not true anymore, but Gosh, I don't know when it went away, but most of my life I was afraid, deathly afraid. I was just lazy, like to the core lazy. It was a very strong shame in my mind. And I was super aware of it, but like I wouldn't even write it down. And so um, I just want to acknowledge like writing it down and saying, I'm afraid I'm lazy. When I started doing that, it was scary. I probably cried. I remember doing this in college. It didn't fix everything, but I was like, 
I remember asking God, I'm like, God, am I lazy? This is important. And as a person of faith and, and my relationship with God is important to me. That was, he was the first person I ended up talking to about that. And it's been a really long journey now of me like traveling through what does it mean to be lazy? How do I identify what lazy is? And, um, all these different things. Maybe there are parts of me that are really lazy. I don't need to deal with it right now. I just need to and maybe there were parts of me that weren't actually lazy, but I felt like they were. I didn't have to. So when you write this list down, don't decide whether or not the thing is true, but you definitely perceive it that way. Someone's called you stupid. Someone's called you ugly. Someone's called you this or that lazy, or you you perceive that in yourself. Just write it down. Um, one thing I want to encourage y'all, um, if you do this, I hope you do, um, when you're writing down this list, is note that it is limited. Yeah. That was the first time I did this activity. I remember, and I've done this stuff like this a lot <laughs> and versions of this in other areas of my life, other areas of my mental health. The first time I did it, though, I remember thinking, like staring at the list, I don't know, maybe it was a full page. Who knows how big it was? But I remember thinking, I literally can't think of anything else. Like, like I'm trying, I'm trying to be as mean as I possibly can, but nothing else is coming to mind. Like, this is the limit to my meanness to myself. And, and, and it wasn't like, oh, yay, I'm not mean. I was like, no, this is totally mean. But, but it's limited. You're not 100% totally irredeemable. And, and when you face that shame, you start to see that and you're like, this is copable. I can deal with this. I can deal with this one item at a time. So number two, once you've acknowledged that there are weak parts of yourself, and I would again recommend you write it down, that helps with the acknowledgement, not just doing a mental exercise, but like saying I'm willing to write it down and make it, it's the act of writing down makes it more real in our brain. Number two, I want you to grieve these weak points. So I've spent a huge part of my life denying or ignoring my weaknesses and it of course, didn't stop them from existing. It just made me more afraid. And writing down and expressing all these weak points can be scary. It can feel like a betrayal. Like I'm not even supposed to know about these things or I'm not supposed to, if I acknowledge them, that, that means that they are real and I really am a lazy person and a bad person and blah, blah, blah. But, but if you kind of get past and say, okay, I don't have to judge myself. I don't have to panic. I can be maybe afraid and still do it. But really highlighting to me the, the the highest motion going on is is grief wow I really am afraid that I'm lazy and I don't even know what to do about that and and I've been carrying that for years and it's underlied all of my efforts to have good grades and to be skinny and to whatever it is that at that point in my life what I was I was being driven to do and so I think that there's another point where you could just look at that. If you're a crier, cry. If you, but, but spend a moment just looking and, and noti- noting what grief you have. Noting the emotions, letting them come up. We call that riding the wave. In cognitive behavioral therapy, that's what they call it. Riding the wave. Just letting those emotions come and be present. Not being like, I wrote, it, I wrote the list down. I'm leaving because this is way too uncomfortable. <laughs> but write your list. And, and note it, note each point and, and grieve them. Also, maybe notice on a more strategic level, notice which ones sting the most or stung the most to write down. And you could underline it or highlight it as like, woof, these ones are definitely some stronger ones than the other. Um, but that is number two, grieve your weak points. Number three, 
write down who you want to be. So bringing back a bit of Jordan B. Peterson, whose entire podcast, the last podcast episode was entirely about, he has this quote, do you ask yourself what you want? Do you negotiate fairly with yourself? Or are you a tyrant with yourself as slave? And he was not talking about perfectionism at that chunk in the, at that point in his chapter. But the first thing I thought of was perfectionism. He is talking about perfectionism. Perfectionism is being your own tyrant and your own slave at the same time. And neither party is happy. The tyrant is not like so pleased with the slave. The tyrant's like, my slave is lazy and a loser and I have to keep it in line. And if I don't whip it, it just goes crazy. And the slave is like, my master is horrible and he beats me all the time and he's never proud of me and he never gives me any, any, you know, advice or doesn't give me any help, doesn't get in and work with me, doesn't give me any rewards when I do something well. It's kind of like a lose, 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 lose situation. <laughs> and so, um, what, what is interesting is that when you ask yourself who you want to be, you open up for possibility. And so instead of merely running away from all the things you don't want to be, you start to have in your mind's eye an awareness of what you could be or what you want to be. And I would say on that same journaling piece of paper, you could write down, maybe not you know word for word, like if you put in, I don't know, all your fears, like lazy, I want to be strong, you could do that. But but maybe what you write down is, you know, I want to be a, a patient mother. I want to be a persevering career woman. I want to be a well-spoken speaker. Um, write down these things that whatever it is that's in your mind. Um, I really am not talking about like, I want to be a superstar model with chiseled abs and a rock star mom with four kids who never has a bad hair day, is a famous actor and makes $2 million per year. That's probably not what you're thinking of. It might be. But I think this is, this is deeper. This is more, I want to be kind. I want to be comforting. I want to not have emotional explosions, which is a problem I really struggled with for, for years. I actually had a boyfriend tell me that I, that I was like a minefield and I would explode. <laughs> it was some of the best feedback I ever got. I'm, I mean, clearly, I've remembered it to this day. It was so cutting. And I remember thinking, I can no longer be this thing. Why do I have emotional explosions? And perfectionism was not going to help me. Um, so I, 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 I want to be someone, though, you might say, I want to be someone who takes on challenges. I want to be relaxed. I want to be grateful. I want to feel self-worth. I want to be a learner. I want to be, um, maybe you want to be a business owner or a career person. It could be career related, but write down things you want to be. Many times your perfectionism, your shame, your drivenness is holding you back for one reason or another. And you don't even see why, but you, what I can say is what you've done thus far has not worked to get you to where you want to go. And most likely it's not that you haven't given it enough time. Cause if you're listening to this podcast, you are looking for answers. You are not, Oh, I just tried something yesterday and it didn't work. It's I've been trying something for years and it didn't work. And so this is, this is an opportunity. Write down who you want to be. Okay, so to recap the first three points, one, acknowledge that you do have weak parts of yourself that you want to cover up. Two, grieve your weak points. Three, write down who you want to be. 
Um, and again, that kind of comes, there's a couple things going on there. There's a bit of opposites and exchanges. There's a little bit of, you can't be quite a tyrant and a slave when you're both going towards what you want, not what you're like both struggling for. Um, and so once, once you can be fair with yourself and say, this is what I want, you can then negotiate with yourself and escape the tyrant slave dynamic because now you're negotiating. So it's more of like a equal, equal, like I'll give you this, you give me that thing. And so read more and you can read more in Jordan B. Peterson's book, the 12 rules for life. I think it's chapter three. It's page 90. I wrote it down here. It's a, but it's a really, really great book. So number four, the to round us out, it's pick an action step to move forward. This does have some sub steps within it. So if you get confused, I am going to be using a one, two, three, four again within this, but um, pick one aspect of yourself you want to see grow most. And that could go back to that list where you looked at one, you looked at all of them and you saw like, there's one of these that stings more than the others. And I used laziness. Anger was another big one. So those were two big, 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 big ones I was struggling with for a long time. So um, you pick one aspect of yourself you want to see yourself grow the most in, and then you act. And some of your options for acting are one, tell a friend. There is power in just admitting your weakness to a friend. My roommate, um, who actually is the same girl I talked about who made that meal for me. Uh, her name's Erin. She was my roommate for three years and she was a very safe and strong friend I could share things with, grieve over and get advice from. And sometimes I would tell her things I felt very ashamed of and she'd be like, girl, you're a badass boss lady. Like you are amazing. And <laughs> she actually uses that phrase a lot. So um, that I was a bad, badass boss lady and I was saying all these things in my head and it didn't match up with the thing I felt shame for. That was very illuminating. There were other times where I said, hey, I really feel XYZ or I'm really not proud of how I behaved in XYZ situation. And she'd be like, yeah, yeah, I see that. But at least I can could tell someone and, and even process through what are my next steps and how am I going to respond to this rather than just staying stuck and ashamed and afraid and then hiding and then like covering up with perfectionism and 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 really not being known. Number two, um, you could get a counselor. And so some insecurities or weaknesses are deep enough or complex enough that a counselor is more helpful than a friend. It's also possible if you feel that you don't have a very good community or anybody that you could turn to in your community, a counselor is another just phenomenal resource. And I, for example, chose to see a counselor this spring after my miscarriage, partly because, I mean, the main thing was I just got to a point where with the miscarriage and stressors from COVID and things in my business, I was like, wow, there's a lot going on and I can't expect my husband or my friend or my whatever to deal with. I, I really wanted somebody to, to be with me and help me talk through some stuff. And so it was apparent to me just with the the number of problems and the bigness of these problems that getting a counselor was really helpful be above and beyond talking to a friend. Number three, ask for feedback. And so this could be from a mentor in your workplace. It could be in your church. It could be, but, but, but basically you want to find somebody first, you know, you admire, they're a leader of some sort. You look up to them um, by how they are, who they are. And you can ask them how they did it, how they have become the person they've become. 
guaranteed that person has had to overcome things to become who they are. Even if they're kind and gentle and seems everything seems easy to them or every they seem to take everything in stride or whatever it is, um, you can talk to them. How did they handle their kid you know, going through cancer? How did they handle... Look for the people who have grace in their life, that have that confidence and security, that are happy, that can handle grief and sorrow. They're not just putting on a fake smile. Have you ever seen this person grieve or or show sadness or empathy? And fun fact, I remember when I was, you know, younger, I don't know exactly how young, and I saw people who seemed successful and happy and confident and secure, et cetera. Um, and I wondered, you know, like, well, I never hear them talk about their, how they succeeded and did what they did. So I figured, well, and they must've just kind of been born that way. They, they they didn't have to do anything. They just did everything right. And now being a little older and wiser and being someone who's sought people's advice and heard their stories as well as someone who has been sought for, for advice. What I've learned is that these people who you might look up to might not be giving you any advice right now for a couple reasons. One, they have really good boundaries. They don't need to be all up in your business. They might be observant and even notice you struggling, but they have good boundaries. They don't feel responsible for you. Number two, kind of similar, they don't need to fix people. They realize, you know, this can even go have to do with health. Maybe they're like, yeah, I don't eat gluten. For example, I don't eat me personally, Allison. I don't eat grains or dairy. I don't need anybody else to not eat grains or dairy. And now if someone asks me like, why don't I eat grains or dairy? Or should they not eat grains and dairy? I'll happily talk to them about science and ask them some questions and go into that. But I don't need to be like judging them or fixing them or changing them. So as someone who is healthy and happy and successful and content and kind and all that, like they usually have worked through some of that. So they have better boundaries. They don't need to fix people. They also know that most people don't want to be fixed. So they, I usually walk around with the assumption that if I hear someone complaining, they don't want a solution. That's actually pretty accurate. And then there's another thing that hearing that um, many people are just, even with their problems, they're happy on their own. And so you know, they're just, they're just off doing their other things. So people who are, are successful and I, and by successful, I don't mean like wealthy and, and all this, all these certain parameters, but more so emotionally sound. Um, they, they're just happy on their own. They don't need to be in everybody else's business. So it's not that they don't have good advice or that they don't care if, if you're in a, you know, a rough place and you know, this person, if you know, someone who's calm, confident, takes on big tasks, is kind to others, trustworthy, dependable, talk to them, ask them, uh, talk to someone who has good fruit in their life and ask them what they've overcome to get there. And lastly, read a book, read a book on the topic of growth. There are specific, there's like some general growth books out there. There's specific books you could read, like I read a book on anger called Anger and Assertiveness in Pastoral Care. It's the dorkiest looking book. It's very small. It's kind of hard to find, but I did get a copy on Amazon and and it was the best book on anger I've ever had. I mean, I might have created another podcast specifically on anger because it's a fascinating emotion to me. Uh, Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection is, is a great book. It's just short. It's quick read. Healing Back Pain or the Mind-Body Connection by Dr. John Sarno really explicitly jumps into how things like perfectionism and people-pleasing manifest itself in physical illness and symptoms. And so really great book. Um, the two books are similar but different. 
you can read Healing Back Pain even if you don't have back pain. It's a phenomenal book. If you have a scarcity mindset, you can read Overcoming Under Earning by Barbara Stanny. Uh, that is a book I've read and a great, again, it's really great. If you have Fear and Anxiety, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks is great. And if you just want to grow and you like a little bit of philosophy and psychology, you can read 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson. So those are the four steps to getting out of perfectionism, acknowledging that there's weak part of yourself, uh, writing down is a really great thing, grieving those points, writing down who you want to be, and then taking an action step to move forward. The outcome is that after you do these steps, you can come back around to your perfectionism and you just see you don't need it as much. And that was one of the most surprising aspects for me when I was going through my own perfectionism journey of of doing steps, no one actually, I never knew I was taking explicit steps to, to reduce perfectionism, but I was taking steps to wholeness and healing, to reduce shame, to increase vulnerability, to increase connection, to decrease loneliness. And what was happening is that my perfectionism, I didn't need it. I didn't need the armor. I could take it off and just leave it or leave it on the ground. It's kind of like your pr- protective blankie. You could just leave it behind and you can even say to it, Thank you for being there for me when I didn't know what to do, but I'm good now. I've grown. I see my weaknesses. I've shared them with others. I'm not scared of them the way I used to be, and I'm going to walk with them openly and move forward. You don't have to fight perfectionism anymore. You can't force yourself out of it, which is kind of a form of perfectionism in itself. The cure to perfectionism is deep self-acceptance looking at all your flaws or weaknesses and saying, okay, this is what I have. How do I move forward? All right. Well, if you love this episode, we have so much more coming down the line. November is going to be chocked full of more dirty details on the body, heavy metals, thyroid. It's going to be great. So subscribe so you never miss a beat. And if you love this episode and you want to, you thought of a friend or you don't even know who you'd share it with, but you thought it was great, I would encourage you and invite you take a screenshot and either text it to your friend or share it on Instagram and tag me at Better Belly Therapies. I would love to see what is hitting you, any quotes you love from this podcast, any takeaways you are making, and I would love to connect you with you on Instagram. Other ways that you can support us is by leaving a rating and review. About 200 of you every week are listening to this podcast, and I would love it, and it would mean so much to me if you would just leave a rating and review. It really helps other people find us, and most of you do listen on Apple iTunes, so you can... And if you don't listen there, you can click the link in the show notes and it will take you directly to Apple, uh, the Apple Podcasts app, and you will be able to leave a review there. And other new or another, lastly, you can connect with us on Instagram at Better Belly Therapies. I love connecting with our listeners, with y'all, and it means so much if you drop by and said hi. And our motto, as a reminder, miracles are immediate, but healing takes time.